So glad that you guys have made it to today, the last day of camp. It's really weird to, to stand up here and go, it's Thursday, it's the last day of camp. Because camp usually goes till Friday, but tomorrow is the 4th of July. Woo-hoo. Nation's independence. What? Yay for fireworks. Yay for, oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> I'm so glad you said fireworks. Let me tell you this story. It was, oh, it's been a few years ago. When was Ben Denny here? That's like four or five years ago, something like that. Um, so there's a group of us. I was speaking, and it was it was this 4th of July week, and they decided that they were going to do fireworks um, on one of the nights. And they did them over on the ball field. And so, like, after the, after the evening service, they were like, hey, we're all going over to the ball fields, and we're going to shoot off fireworks. And we're like, okay, cool. So all the campers, like, bolt over there. There's a few that are kind of standing over here, kind of cleaning everything up. And we go walking over to the ball fields. And we go walking, you know, past the climbing tower and over that direction. And so... All the campers are, are up, you know, like in the bleachers and up on the up on the bank. And Ben and this friend of ours and myself, we come walking up and we're just standing just outside of the fence, like towards home plate. And we're kind of watching all of them. And, and uh, they were, you know, like out in the outfield. And so we're watching them like shoot up and we're watching everybody, you know, that's lighting them and then running away. And Ben Denny, God love his little heart. He looks over at me and he goes, wouldn't that be crazy if one of those things fell over and shot our direction? I was like, no. He goes, you don't think so? No. <laughs> no, it's, it's firework. <laughs> Fire, explosion, me, no mix. <laughs> you know, it's like, No. So we're just standing there, and he's like, I think it would. No sooner had I think it would comes out of his mouth than we see everybody who's lighting the fireworks run. And not like the normal, hey, we've lit one, we're going to run off. It was like the, oh, and like they panic. One guy is climbing the outfield fence to try and get away from whatever has just happened. And before like you can even register that they're scrambling to get out of the way, this thing explodes and comes bouncing like a rock on a lake our direction. And about 10 feet in front of us, boom! <laughs> we were running too, but the explosion kind of caught us. And we all sat around and I looked at Ben and I went, never say it again. And so, you know. So, so be wary of the things that you say, because that was, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if? No. No, 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 no. So, you know, I mean, that's almost like, um, you know, the famous last words of a redneck, you know? Hey, watch this. No, no, like that's not cool at all. So so this whole week we've been talking about living proof. We've been talking about, um, you know, we've, we've hit some, we've hit like a lot of different things. Uh, we've hit the three basic truths that we did the other morning. Um, we talked about Gideon and, you know, the three questions that you'll come up with when you make, you know, a decision to follow after Christ. And so I was trying to figure out how to end it, uh, like how to end the week and how, 
know, like what story to kind of go out on, like what's one last final challenge that I can give to you guys. And I, I love the people that God brings into my life because they are some of the most random collection of people. And I say that like out of love, but they're crazy. Like a word that I have started using lately is they're just wackadoodle. And part of that is because they like consider me a friend. Um, the other part is they're just crazy. Like I, I tend to attract kind of kind of outlandish people. Um, Megan Lincoln being one of them. And uh, it was it was Megan. She came up to me and she goes, she goes. So like you know, she always makes fun of me because she says at some point during the week I'm going to teach on Isaiah. And apparently this week I've hit it like two or three times. Uh, and she goes. She goes, and I love it when you do Gideon. And I'm like, yeah, I did Gideon this morning. She's like, oh, man. And she goes, are you going to do this one? I'm like, no. And then the whole drive home last night, 45 minutes from here, like I just can't get it out of my head. And then last night I went to bed. And then this morning, like I'm driving in, and I got stuck in traffic, and I'm just sitting there. And like I got stuck at a place, and I'm not complaining, but I got stuck in a place where like my satellite radio was out, so it's like no signal, so it's like dead quiet in my car, and I'm just kind of sitting there, and I just can't get this lesson out of my head, and I'm like, okay, God, but how am I going to explain this? Like, how am I going to incorporate this? And it kind of came to me, and so with that being said, turn in your Bibles back to the book of Judges. It's the seventh book. Seventh book. Who can tell me while you're turning who we talked about in Judges previously in this week. Somebody, yeah, Gideon, exactly. And we talked about uh, his army and 300 people. Uh, the last time, well, one time, not really the last time, but one time I did that lesson uh, at a camp, and I'm a visual aid kind of a person. And uh, so I was teaching that, and it was to a bunch of, like, elementary kids, and so when I was teaching Gideon, I had, you know, I was talking about like the torch and the clay pitcher and the horn. And the camp that I was at was the one where I had the weed eater. And so I was kind of scrounging around trying to find something to teach with. And all I could find was one of those Hawaiian bamboo tiki torches, a five-gallon paint bucket, and a harmonica that I had in my car. I don't play the harmonica, so I don't know why I had a harmonica in my car, but I had a harmonica in my car. And that's what I taught the lesson with. And I had to teach that lesson like five times that day because it was kind of like a class in every session, like it was a different. And the camp director came up to me at lunch and he went, what were you doing? I was teaching, like what else was I supposed to be doing? And he goes, what was that noise? I was like, oh, I had a harmonica. He goes, oh. He goes, the first time I heard it, he said, I went down to the barn because I thought, like, one of the calves was sick. And I was like, oh, thanks. Appreciate it. So so I'm not a harmonica player. That's okay. Uh, Judges chapter number 3 and verse number 15 is where we are going to be. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Number, uh, verse number 12 is where we're actually going to start. It says, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Remember, I told you the other night, or the other day, that um, you know these judges came about because 
Israel did something that was against God. And like every time you meet one of these judges, it was, and Israel was doing this. Uh, and so, you know, just so you see, that's kind of what we did. Verse number 13, he gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms and the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. So for 18 years, like the, the Israelites are, are in slavery to this man. Then verse number 15, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gerah the Benjamite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. So there's a whole lot said in that one verse right there. And here's what happens. Israel does bad. They get taken over for 18 years. And after 18 years, they go, they go, okay, we've had enough of this. Like, we don't want any more of this. Like, God, please help us out. And so God brings, and I love it because he calls him a deliverer. And nothing in the Bible is accidental. You know, like me, if somebody introduces me, they go, hey, this is Jared, or this is Jared Lester. You know, and if you really want to know my middle name, you'll have to ask my mom or my wife or Megan, um, because the only time I ever hear my middle name is when I'm in trouble, which growing up, that was quite often. Um, some people actually thought it was my entire first name because they, it was said so much. But it's kind of like an identifier. Like if somebody goes, hey, it's Jared, and especially this week, if somebody goes, Jared did this, like you need another qualifier to figure out which Jared did what. You know, and we have Asian Jared and Caucasian Jared, or, you know, Asian Jared and Pale Jared, or however you want to go about it. And, or, you know, like in another company, it's, hey, it's Jared, which one? Lester, you know, and there's, there's all these like different qualifiers. And the Bible does the same thing. It says they raised up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a left-handed man. Now, it sounds funny that they say, you know, he's the son of this guy and he's from this tribe. But then they throw in that extra little piece and they say he's left-handed. Remember, I told you the other night that I didn't know that my mom was left-handed until I was in sixth grade. And little Charlie... Uh, when when he throws the ball or something, he throws it left-handed. Everybody in his world is right-handed, but he has, has shown a tendency toward, towards being left-handed. And it's not a weird thing, but in this case it is. And here's why it's weird. The Benjamites were the fighting tribe. Like, they were the army tribe. And from a very young age, they were taught to be ambidextrous. Anybody know what that means? Okay, for those of you who aren't raising your hand, it means that they can use either hand. Like they are very proficient with whatever they are doing with either hand, which makes for a really good soldier. Because if you cut off one arm, they have another one to defend themselves. Which I think if I, somebody cut off my arm, I don't think I'd pick up a sword and start swinging with the other one unless, you know, my life depended on it. But these guys, they were taught to fight with both hands. Like they were taught to be very efficient in what they did. But the Bible specifies that Ehud was just left-handed. Like, I don't know if he was like Nemo and he had like a little gimpy fin or something. You know, like, I don't know if there was like something wrong with his right hand or if he just couldn't take to it. But he was kind of an outcast. Are you kind of seeing a trend in a lot of these people that we talk about? 
like they're considered low, they're considered an outcast, they're not considered good enough for society kind of a thing. But God brings him up, and I can just imagine, like some of the people are like, wait a minute, you want him to lead us? He can't even use his right hand. Like I'm horrible with my left hand. If I have to, I can write something, you know, and I can feed myself like with my left hand. That's about all I can do with my left hand. Like I'm horrible with it. Well, I can catch a baseball. You kind of have to. So I digress on that one. So they tell us that he's left-handed. And in the end of that verse, it says, and Israel sent a tribute. Like they sent their taxes. They sent kind of like a gift to the king just to keep him happy. So that way he wasn't that horrible. On him. <coughs> Sorry. So here's why Ehud is especially special. Verse number 16, and Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, about 18 inches, and he bound it to his right thigh under his clothes. Now think about it. Nowadays, we have, you know, different weaponry than they did then. I have a, I have a carry permit. Like I can, I can legally in the state of Tennessee carry a gun. I do not have one on me at the moment. Um, but I can carry one. And that was kind of a, a transition for me was how am I going to carry that? Am I going to carry a strong side? Am I going to carry a cross draw? Am I going to carry a small of the back? You know, it was where am I going to feel comfortable enough, you know, to like pull a gun from here if I have to, to reach across my body, which is a little bit bigger, you know, like having to reach across or am I going to reach behind me and pull something out? You know, so there was, there was kind of like this thing. In, in Bible times, if I was right-handed, a sword of any length, and I mean, we're talking 18 inches, so we're talking about this big. If I were to put it over here on my right side, and I'm right-handed, and I was to put it on my right side, what's going to happen with that sword? Like, if I grab it like this and try to pull it up, like, I can't get my arm up high enough to get it out of the sheath. If I grab it, like, with my hand this way with my thumb up and try to pull, like, I'm going to pull it up, but then I've got a, you know, a sword hanging down here. It's kind of going to be hard to wield. So... Where am I going to carry it? I'm going to carry it on my left side. It's going to be hanging out a little bit in the front so I can grab it. You know, like you see them in the movies. You know, they're like, you know, and they're like standing there and like the light glistens off of it and angels begin to sing and women begin to swoon and all the enemies are like running away, you know. You know how it goes. You know, how, you know it's like the hero movie. Like that's how I envision it. You know, probably with me it would be more like... <laughs> Oh, man, it's stuck again. You know, like that would just be my luck. It's like, hang on a second, let me get my sword out, you know. So, um, and for a computer joke, it's be like, it's stuck, it's frozen. Have you tried turning it off and on again? Okay, um, sorry, that like goes over a few people's heads. But, um, but no, it tells, us that, it tells us that Ehud, he's left-handed. So being left-handed, he puts this sword on his, on his right side. Now, why is this important? He's getting ready to go see the king, right? He's getting ready to take money to the king. I love it. I'm like, Logan, come here. And he's like, Ugh. okay, here, stand up here. See, look, you trust me a whole lot quicker now. I'm, there's not a tree for you to climb, okay? Are you right-handed or left-handed? You are right-handed? Okay, right now you're left-handed. Okay. Okay. So, 
So you've got the sword over here on this side, right? Okay, now I'm going to be one of the guards that's going to be, like, coming up to you. Or you're going to be coming up to me. So we have Ehud, and he's coming up to see the king. But before he can get to the king, he's got to go through the bodyguards. He's got to go through the guards that are, that are protecting the king. And he comes up to him and he says, hey, I've got a gift for the king. And they're like, well, before you can go in, we have to, we have to check you out. Now remember, they're used to everybody being right-hand, predominantly right-handed. And so they walk up, like Ehud walks up, and they kind of look at him, and you know they're like, okay. And so they start, they kind of start going like this, and you know doing like the little pat down and trying to like you know make sure that everything's fine. And and they pat him down, and they go, okay, you're good. And they open up the door, and Ehud walks right in. Okay, you can go. So he goes and, and, he, and he walks in. And while he's in there and, and he's kind of bringing all the, all the tribute, like all the treasure that he's brought in, while they're moving all of that in, he whispers to one of the guards and he goes, hey, I've got a secret for the king. And they go, okay, well, you can tell us. And he goes, no, 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 I've got to tell just the king. And they go, okay. And he goes, no, like... I really need to tell just him. Like, I need to be left alone with just him. Because it's for his ears only. Now, these guards should probably have never been guards. Because their job is to protect the king. But now, remember, they've done what they're supposed to do. They've checked him out. And they're like, okay, cool. You're fine. Go on in. So after they're done unloading all this treasure, they go, hey, king... He has a secret to tell you, but he doesn't want anybody else to hear it. And the king goes, okay, you guys leave. And so the guards turn around and they walk out the door. And here's what's funny. Ehud follows them to the door. And he follows them to the door and they walk outside and he's like, see ya. Closes the door and locks it. And then he turns around and he walks up towards the king. And the king goes, okay, so what's your secret? And he goes, um, I need to get a little closer to tell you. Like, I need to whisper it in your ear. And the king's like, okay, well, there's nobody else here. And he had, goes, no, it's a, it's a pretty good secret. Like, I need to come up and tell you. Like, I need to make sure that you hear it. So he gets, he gets brought up there. I'm trying to find it. Ah, okay. Verse number 17. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now remember, this is the Bible talking. It says, Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. So the Bible, the Bible explains this. Now this has some importance. And this is kind of going to get a little action movie here for a second. So Ehud's standing there, and the king goes, Okay, so you've got a secret. And Ehud goes, Yep, but I've got to whisper it to you. And the king goes, Okay, fine. And so Ehud gets like right up next to him. And he goes, I, I can't bend down. Can you come up here so that I can talk to you? And as the king is standing up and moving towards him, Ehud pulls the knife out, or like the sword that he's made, and he stabs Eglon in the stomach. And the Bible tells us, and it, it actually does say this, and you can read this later, and this is getting a little weird, so whoever's listening to this, I apologize. The Bible tells us that, that Eglon's like fat actually closed in around Ehud's hand. So his hand is, is stuck. And when he pulls his hand out, there's no sword. 
because the sword is there. So what does Ehud do? He watches the king fall over. He jumps out of a window and takes off running. I love this because there are so many of you all with your mouths just hanging wide open and you're going, seriously, this is in the Bible? Yeah. (laughs) Ehud takes off running. And he gets back to town and all the people are like, so what happened? Like, is everything okay? And he goes, everything's great. And they go, so he was okay with 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 the tribute, with the treasure? And he goes, oh yeah, he's fine with it. And they go, what happened? He goes, we're free. What do you mean we're free? Like, he just gave in? Sort of. I don't think we're going to hear anything from him. And they're like, what happened? And he begins to tell them the story. And they're like, we're free? Yeah, we're free. Like, we're really free. Yeah, we're free. And, like, there's rejoicing all over Israel because because their, their, their slave master is dead. Like, they're free to go. They've been delivered because of, because of what happened. So now I'm sure that you're probably wondering, like, what's happening back at the palace. I love it because the Bible tells us exactly what's happening at the palace. They go back. We'll go back there. Let's go stand outside the room with the guards. They're standing on either side of the door. And they're just kind of standing there, and one of them's standing there, and after a few minutes he goes, that must be a really big secret. And the other one's like, yep, it must be. Stand there for a little bit longer, and the other one goes, good grief. How long does he need to talk to him? And the other guy goes, I don't know. I'm sure they'll let us know when we need to come in. So they're just both just kind of standing there, and one guy goes, are you not nervous? And the other one goes, no. We checked him. Remember? He's fine. So they kind of stand there for a little bit. But then they really begin to get nervous because one of them like, starts to think, wait a minute, our job is to be in there protecting him, and we're out here. And so he turns around to check the door, and when he checks it, it's locked. And instead of like hammering on the door and trying to break it down, he says this, and the King James Version of the Bible puts it the best. He goes, you know what? And here's, here's the King James Version. He goes, maybe he covers his feet in the summer chamber. And the other one goes, yep, maybe that's it. And they just go back to standing there. Now, as much as I want to explain to you what covering your feet in the summer chamber means, I am not going to do it. Because the last time I explained it to a group of campers at Tapawingo, I was sitting in the cafeteria for lunch, and this girl gets up and walks off. And her counselor goes, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm going to cover my feet in the summer chamber. And she walked off. And every camper burst out laughing. And the counselor is just sitting there looking at me, and I'm in tears. And she goes, what is she doing? You heard her. But I'm not going to tell you guys. I'm just kidding. He said he was going to the bathroom. That's all it is. So not going to tell you what he was doing, but he was going to the bathroom. So there you go. But that's what they say. They go, surely he's gone to the bathroom. Like, that's all it is. He's gone to the bathroom. And so they stand there. And finally, after about, you know, like, I don't know how much longer goes by, they go, whew, that Mexican food must have been bad. And they break down the door, and when they get in there, they see the king dead. No murder weapon, just dead. No Ehud. 
He's gone. Now all of you are like, why in the world are you telling us this story? What does it have to do with living proof? And here's what came to me. Because I love this. There was a phrase that was very popular when I was younger. And it says, I know I'm somebody because God don't make no junk. Remember Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. He was categorized. He was an outcast. He was something that nobody else wanted around because he wasn't what fit their mold as normal or as right or as usable. And God brought him up and called him a deliverer and used what people saw as a difference and as a hindrance to free an entire nation. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of us that, you know, like we've been talking about this week, like we're, we're kind of at that point where we, we have to make a decision. Are we going to follow Christ? Are we going to do what Christ wants us to do? Or are we going to turn our backs and, and walk away? And a lot of times the reason that we say, okay, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to walk away is because we go, but God, what you're asking me to do, I can't do because of this. Did you all know that Moses, when he was asked to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, you know, and like the ten plagues and Pharaoh and all that bunch of stuff, do you know he stood before God and he goes, but, but God, I can't talk to him. I can't talk to Pharaoh. And, and God goes, why not? I love it when God asks questions that he knows the answer to because he's God, but he goes, why not? Because I, sometimes I think he wants us to hear how stupid our responses are. And Abraham goes, because I have a stuttering problem. I can't talk right. And God goes, that's fine. Take your brother Aaron. And, and, and Moses still had to go up in front of Pharaoh. You see, David, like great King David, David and Goliath, do you realize that David was the runt of his family? When he goes to fight Goliath, they laugh at him because they're like, what are you going to do? And he goes, I've I've killed a bear and a lion from attacking my sheep. Now, if somebody walked up to me and went, I'm going to go fight that giant. Okay, what's your resume? Um, I've killed a bear and a lion. With what? Ah, my bare hands. <laughs> bare hands. And a sling. I'd be like, you know what? Have at him. But they go, oh, you need to be protected. Okay, so they put armor on him, but it's too big. And he goes, I can't fight with this stuff. And he takes it off and he goes with nothing more than just what he was wearing and a sling and five stones. We see all throughout the Bible these people that we, that we look up to that were outcasts. The disciples themselves were outcasts because in, in, in Jewish culture, what happened is when you were younger, and especially a boy, when you were younger, you were given a test. And if you passed this test, you got put into the temple, and that's where you grew up. Like, it was a big thing to be a religious leader in the temple. And if you failed that test, you were sent back to do the family business. And you were kind of an outcast. And every person that Jesus encountered was an outcast. Like, the first disciples that he gets, they're fishing. It's a family business. 
Like society saw them as, yeah, they're important because they're gathering fish, but they're not as good as these guys. And that's the history that God takes. I love it because in the Bible it says, hey, I take the foolish things of of this world to confound or confuse the wise. Like I take the weak things and, and, and use them as strengths. Like whatever you see as a hindrance, like whatever you see is, well, that's, that's going to hold me back. If you give that over to God, that can be one of his greatest tools to see you succeed. And to see you live out like your life for him. Remember Ehud was left-handed. Hey, you know, I get to see it in school. Hey, look, there's Ehud. He can only use his left hand. You know. And I know this is going to be really bad right now, but I'm just going to say it. You know, it's, once again, going back to Nemo, it's like, you know, Nemo's like swimming around. And they're like, wait, Nemo's swimming towards the butt, you know. Okay, so I'm sorry. That's like horrible, but it, that's just kind of where, where my brain goes sometimes. But that's what it is, you know. Like sometimes you have to be like that. Sometimes you have to be able to go, you know what, you may think that what this is is going to hold me back, but if I give it over to God, I'm going to succeed. I'm going to step up, and I'm going to swim out, and I'm going to do something bigger than what you think that I can do. Because, I mean, just imagine if all of these people from Gideon to to Ehud to, to David to the disciples to everybody that Christ ever encountered, if they would have been like, you know what, I'd love to, but I can't. Where would we be at? What would we be learning about? Like, where's the incentive kind of a thing? So what can we learn from Ehud today? There's, there could have been an action movie made about it. But what can we learn from Ehud? And it's that. It's God made you. God designed you. The Bible tells us that, that before we were ever a thought in our parents' minds, God knew exactly who we were. And he knew exactly what we were going to be. And he designed us for a purpose. You're just like this tiny little jigsaw piece in this really big puzzle of the kingdom of God. But you're an important piece. And where you're trying to fit in, like literally fit in, may not be where you're supposed to. Because we see how we are and we kind of see how the world is and we try to make ourselves fit in. But God is seeing a bigger picture and he has designed you with the right shape and the right colors and the right textures and all of this kind of stuff. And he may not have you down here in this little corner. He may have a bigger place for you up here. And it's you being willing to take what he has created and to move you where he wants you to go. Because there's a fit for you. There's a place where he wants you. And he has designed you to fit exactly in that place. Nowhere else. And you have to be like Zacchaeus and you have to choose to come down and follow him and let him change your life. And you have to be like Ehud and let him use something that everybody else sees as a hindrance and let him use it to show that it can be something bigger. So guys, that's my challenge to you from this entire week. Like I said last night, step out of the boundaries of this camp. Step out of the boundaries of what feels secure and go live the life that Christ has called you to do. Use the talents. Um, I don't remember who she was because the, the fire, but the, the little girl that got up and said, hey, you know, I don't really know if I have the talents. If you just have a life that you're just willing to give over to God, he'll use it. He'll find something. It doesn't matter. I like to talk. Guess what I get to do? 
Can I get to talk? I like to draw. I like I like visual things. And for two years, that's what I got to do at a church. I got to design like the the worship environments for kids. Things that I never thought that I would do because it's like, how can you use this? Like I like to doodle. Big whoop. Like I used to do these 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 murals and these big pictures on these walls every month to go along with what the kids were learning. And I look back on that now and I'm like, you know, there's a part of me that wants to look at that little five-year-old kid that's picking up a pencil for the first time and drawing Garfield out of the comic strips for the first time and go, hey, practice more. Like God has given you a, a, a talent because my parents couldn't draw stick figures, but I could pull out a comic strip and draw everything in it. You know, allow God to use those talents. Allow God to, to, to let you learn in those and grow in those. Because all you have to have is a willingness. All you have to do is for you, all, you, all he wants for you to do is just stand there and go, you know what, God, my life, whatever it is, whatever you can use, take it. And that's what he wants. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we just want to thank you and praise you for who you are. We want to thank you for the truth of your word. Father, as crazy as it seems sometimes and as odd as this story was, Father, may we, may we not lose sight of the truth that you want to use us in spite of what the world thinks about us. When the world sees us as useless, you see us as useful. And, and Father, when the world sees us as, fuel, as foolish, you, you tell us that you see us as something that's going to just confuse the wise. And Father, in, in, this, in this group of people that, that are sitting here, Father, there are, there are future leaders, there are future teachers. Father, there are, there, are, there are people here that are going to change the world in ways that I can't even think of right now. Father, I pray that right now is where it starts. Right now is where they say, hey, God, I don't know how you're going to use me, but I'm willing to give my life over to you. Father, I know that I have, I have this like little quirky thing about me, but Father, if you can use it, then I want you to use it. And Father, in spite of how the world sees me, in spite of how the world feels about me, I'm going to, I'm going to just focus on how you are and what you think, and that's the way we're going to go. So Father, I thank you for the time that I have been given here. I thank you for the, for the, for the reception that they have given me. And Father, I pray that you will just bless them. And Father, continue to bless them. And Father, bless them in ways that they haven't even got to encounter yet as they continue their walk with you. And we just thank you and praise you for your son and for what he did for us. And Father, that you were seated in heaven just waiting to hear from us, just waiting to receive our worship. Father, we love you and we cannot thank you enough. And we just ask all these things in your name.